You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. One of the people on board a Helijet flight that was struck by lightning is sharing his terrifying experience. The aircraft was en route from Vancouver to Victoria yesterday morning when it was struck, causing a rapid descent and leaving everyone wondering if this might be it. Richard Zussman has the story. It's still a blur for Jason Craig. We had a, a massive boom and, and a giant flash. The helijet was at 4,000 feet, surrounded by clouds when it was hit by lightning. The pilots lost their instruments, flying blind. They urgently circled down until they could see water below, leveling out just at 1,300 feet above the water. We almost came at what seemed to be on our side uh, and, and looked out the, the right window and, and saw water and, and the trees. Unknown to the pilots, they were flying with a severely damaged rotor and a chunk out of the aircraft stabilizer. Definitely felt a rapid descent and, and kind of looking around, realizing that, that it was continuing. Uh, I think a lot, of us, uh, a lot of us thought that was it. But it wasn't it. The pilots were able to steady the aircraft and land in Victoria. Craig, the 11 other passengers on board, and the two pilots all walked away uninjured. And the pilots saved lives, responded in the moment to a situation they didn't even know it was caused by. Unbelievable talent and composure. On board, Craig and others texting loved ones. His only message to his eight-month pregnant fiance: I love you. She happened uh, to be at an ultrasound appointment for uh, our first child, so I didn't want to alarm her too much, uh, so just told her I loved her. And a message to the pilots, a simple one as well, thank you. Obviously, you, you responded to a situation uh, that none of us expected, and, and, uh, and, and your training kicked in, and, and you were able to keep us safe. Lightning striking an aircraft is extremely rare and Helijet doesn't fly if they see lightning on the radar, which they didn't in this case. This aircraft is also built for worst case scenarios, including strikes. I think that's a testament to the Sikorsky aircraft, that the, uh, the, uh, the torque of that uh, tail rotor system can continue as it had four blades on it. Craig was able to get home Tuesday to Metro Vancouver, but opting for a ferry instead, hoping to step foot in a helicopter again, but he's not quite ready. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The trial of a Vancouver escort had barely begun before Crown announced a surprising move. Romina Dea has the details and reaction from the accused. On the opening day of trial, an unexpected turn of events. Crown counsel advising the court serious charges against escort Jessica Kane have been stayed. The Vancouver case not proceeding. From the prisoner's box, Kane yelled, it's how it should have been. Kane was charged earlier this year with administering an overpowering drug and robbery. The Vancouver charges were laid while the escort was out on $50,000 bail in connection to a disturbing case out of Surrey. Ms. Kane, can I have a word with you? Excuse me? Can I talk to you about the allegations? The Vancouver allegations, a man rented a unit on Howe Street back in January where he met a female escort he found on Leo List. 
A police search warrant and corresponding documents alleged the man was rendered unconscious and woke up by Airbnb cleaning staff the next day. Court documents further alleged Vancouver police tracked Kane to an apartment on Davie Street, where they seized multiple items, including powder and over $14,000. The charges against Kane now stayed. But why specifically? The BC Prosecution Service will not say. Kane's lawyers have not responded to our messages. Typically, the Crown reassesses cases throughout the course of a case. And if the Crown concludes that the charge approval standard is no longer met, the Crown may enter a stay of proceedings. While the Vancouver case is over, Kane remains in custody on the Surrey file, where she's facing 20 charges dating back to 2021, including administering a stupefying drug, robbery and extortion. None of the allegations have been proven in court. There are multiple alleged victims from across the Lower Mainland. A stunning update in that case. Global News has just learned the most serious charge of manslaughter in connection to the death of Dustin Lefebvre has also been stayed. No specific reason given why. The BC Prosecution Service will only say the charge assessment standard for manslaughter was no longer met. Kane's trial on the remaining Surrey charges is scheduled for next year in April. Romina Dea, Global News. BCRCMP's Major Crime Unit is asking for the public's help to find a person of interest in a shooting death in Sparwood. On October 11th, Mounties were called to a trailer on Lower Elk Valley Road where they found one man, Joel Zimbalotti, had been fatally shot. One person was arrested but later released without charge. Now, police say another man who goes by the alias Slim was also at the scene but took off once police arrived. It's believed he's the last person to have seen the victim alive. Slim was last seen in the Kimberley area but also has ties to the Okanagan. He's described as 20 to 25 years old, tall and slim, with black hair and distinct sideburns. If you know where he is, you are asked to call RCMP. A Vancouver man accused of multiple acts of graffiti vandalism in Chinatown appeared in court today. As Kristen Robinson reports, he says he has nothing against the community and denies he's done anything wrong. While parts of Chinatown have a fresh coat of paint, some unwanted tags remain. But they're less visible than earlier this year when police say an alleged graffiti vandal was at work. Vancouver PD said they seen me tag at uh, Elizabeth Fry's office, which is was wrong, false. That never happened. Larry Carlston is accused of eight counts of mischief for graffiti, including on the Chinatown Plaza War Memorial, Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden Cultural Property, and on Chinatown BIA and city billboards between January 2nd and February 1st. Despite his lawyer's advice not to talk, Carlson told us he understands the tags but that doesn't mean he wrote them. These are messages that, that, that people are sending out to the government. Your reconciliation plan, it's, it's probably completely dead. Do you personally have anything against Chinatown? Oh, no, it's, it's certainly not. I mean, uh, our people have nothing against uh, uh, Chinatown, uh, the Italians or whatever. It's, it, you know, sometimes it's the leadership. There's no hate, you know. I mean, we have a problem with uh, uh, government. 
and police, but there's no hate. Carlston admits he has at least 150 convictions for mostly property crimes in Saskatchewan. I'm 61 years old. I spent about 27, 28 years of my life in and out of prison. But since moving to Vancouver a decade ago, he says he's been a voice for the Indigenous resistance. Does that look like a gang? Carlston says he wasn't allowed in the downtown community courtroom Wednesday because sheriffs claimed he was wearing gang colours. They're saying that it may look like a gang jacket to other gang members. I've never been a gang member in my life. The accused Chinatown graffiti vandal says he'll be pleading not guilty and vigorously defending the charges against him. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, the Surrey RCMP criminal collision investigation team is now looking into a pedestrian-involved incident that left a man with serious injuries. Just after 3 p.m. Tuesday, police responded to an incident near a bus stop on King George Boulevard just north of 96th Avenue. The 69-year-old pedestrian was taken to hospital while the bus driver remained on scene. Surrey RCMP say several passengers were on the bus at the time and waiting at the bus stop when the collision occurred. No charges have been laid and the investigation continues. At this point, the investigation is still in the preliminary stages, so it's too early to say, but the investigators will be looking into all avenues. Coast Mountain Bus Company says the bus driver will be on leave until the investigation is complete. Anyone who witnessed the incident is asked to call Surrey RCMP. As expected, the Bank of Canada is holding steady on interest rates. The central bank doing what many economists had forecast, keeping its key rate at 5%. Recent hikes appear to have been successful, weakening the economy and slowing inflation. The bank says it's still concerned that the pace of growth is easing too slowly and warns it is prepared to increase rates further if necessary. With the economy expected to move into excess supply this year and with growth anticipated to be weak for the next few quarters, price pressures should ease further. We expect inflation to ease gradually and return to the 2% target in 2025. But we're worried that higher energy prices and persistence in underlying inflation are slowing progress. Well, a steady rate is a relief for many Canadians who are struggling under the debt load. Paying down mortgages, lines of credit and credit card bills is increasingly difficult. So if you're seeking relief and need some help, there are some options that might be available to you. And Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has the details. And Thanks, Chris. The stress of not paying your bills continues to have a huge impact on consumers. According to the nonprofit Credit Counseling Society, the number of people seeking its services has increased by 35% compared to last year. That number attributed to inflationary pressure and the high cost of borrowing. If you are having trouble paying down your debt, having a conversation with your financial institution sooner rather than later may be a good place to start. Now, the Credit Counseling Society says your bank may be able to offer some in-house options. However, it cautions it's incredibly crucial if you're struggling with your debt to be proactive. It says some banks 
may offer a temporary grace period or extension on a particular due date, and some financial institutions may allow you to skip a payment or two every couple of years. The Credit Counseling Society also says some banks have given customers a temporary interest-free period to help during a challenging time, but much of this depends if the customer is in good standing with their bank. Another option to help tackle paying the bills is as simple as changing a payment due date to ensure your loan payments are coming out of your bank account after your paycheck. Still, if you are in deep financial trouble, talking to a nonprofit like the Credit Counseling Society may be a good option. It's not a one-size-fits-all, so our focus first and foremost is on reviewing your overall financial situation, looking at what options you have available to manage your debt on your own, and in some cases, you know, we have the option to intervene your, on your behalf and, you know, just represent you with respect to uh, speaking to your various banks and creditors. The Credit Counseling Society in general says in general flexibility with the bank's shift if you start falling behind on your payments, especially if your debt goes to collections. That's when the options from some banks may become limited. So if you are struggling, it's advised to act sooner rather than later. Sophie, Chris. All right, Anne, thanks very much. TransLink is also facing a cash crunch, and it's feared it will get worse. The Transit Authority is facing a deficit of more than $4.5 billion. And as Janet Brown reports, with more people switching to electric vehicles, the gas tax is drying up. The cost of taking transit could be going up. I would probably stop using public transit because I feel like $4 just to enter the SkyTrain is quite expensive. I think it would be like a difficult, because like wages aren't high either. Fare hikes are one option the Mayor's Council on Regional Transportation may consider as it grapples with a projected $4.7 billion funding deficit by 2033. Raising fares is something uh, that will be on the table. There is an expectation that in trying to solve this, um, you're going to have to look at everyone making a contribution. TransLink has three main streams of funding. The fuel tax, which is 18.5 cents on every liter of gas pumped in Metro Vancouver, as well as property taxes and fares. This reliance upon gas tax, this reliance upon property tax, and this reliance upon fares uh, is going to eventually catch up to TransLink. Uh, and we have reached that point. Transit ridership is at 90% of pre-pandemic levels, bringing in less revenue than expected. Gas tax revenue is also on the decline, with more electric vehicles and more people working from home. We missed a year of a fare increase, and the ones that we did do were half the rate of inflation, and so that has had an impact on the deficit that we're talking about today. The idea of a road tax or mobility pricing has been suggested in the past. That's not something that we're currently looking at. I, I think that there's been a lot of concerns that you know I've heard since coming to this region around it that really need to be resolved around equity, affordability. I know that the increases go towards making more transit, and I think that that's a good thing. I'm a senior, and I just don't want to pay any more than I have to pay now. The mayor's council says a solution has to be found because the alternative will be a significant reduction in transit service. Janet Brown, Global News. One month after cutting off visa services in Canada, the Indian government has resumed that service at least partially. 
In a series of social media posts, India's High Commission in Canada says it will restart processing visa applications in Vancouver, Toronto and Ottawa. The High Commission says it's resuming business, medical and conference visas and entry for those with family ties in India. It's unclear though if tourist and student visas will be processed. We have very strong people-to-people -people ties, right? And uh, to making sure that uh, uh, both Canadians and Indians can have the ability to be able to go back and forth, when, especially when it comes to uh, you know, celebratory events like uh, weddings and sadly when it comes to funerals. Those are very two very important uh, events that we want to make sure that people can uh, uh, go back in uh, for us. So it's, it is good news for Canadians as well. India restricted visas after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said there was credible evidence that agents of the Indian government were involved in the killing of a Canadian Sikh leader in Surrey. BC's Heisla Nation is riding a wave in the resource industry. Why can't the, the nation own one of these projects? That question turned into opportunity in the LNG industry, bringing a sense of pride and optimism to this North Coast community. That's next on the NewsHour. Twenty years of scares and screams. How Fright Nights at the PNE keeps it fresh year after year. That's later on the news hour. Also, what the 1998 Little League team from Langley did to earn its place in the BC Sports Hall of Fame. That's coming up as well. Right now, though, the city of Montreal has taken another step to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Soon, gas appliances will be banned in most new construction. As of October 1st next year, natural gas appliances will be banned in any new smaller buildings in Montreal. That means there will be no provisions for things like gas-powered stoves, fireplaces, furnaces or hot water heaters. Exceptions will include emergency gas-powered generators as well as barbecues that use a removable tank. The regulation will take effect in new larger buildings April 25th. According to officials, it'll help the city reach its goal of carbon neutrality by 2050. Climate advocates are applauding the new regulations. If we want to be carbon neutral by 2050, we absolutely need to uh, stop renewing the, these type of equipments and really uh, electrify uh, space heating and water heating. The city says other bylaws are coming for existing buildings as well. Well, despite some municipalities moving away from fossil fuels, there is still a major global market for liquefied natural gas, and BC's north coast is banking on it. In Kitimat, where a huge terminal is being built, the Heisla Nation and its Cedar LNG company are promising many benefits. Elizabeth McSheffrey has more on what makes it a first in Canada. Here along the Douglas Channel, the tide is changing. A powerful wave of reconciliation carrying opportunity to First Nations on BC's north coast. I'm looking forward to it. It's very exciting to be working in our home waters. Those who have always been the stewards of these lands and waters now getting a rightful say on what may pull prosperity into the region. In about two years, the Heisla Nations, Ed Ross and Darcy Woods will be bringing electric tugboats up and down this inlet for the new LNG Canada project. Going to be a big change, probably. 
See the big ships coming in almost every other day. I'm trying to get a couple of my nephews to go into the marine industry. For decades, the fumes of industry have only wafted over the Heisla Nation shoreline. Now they're driving expansion as an economic engine. I usually can't find the words to be able to describe what it is to be essentially trendsetting uh, trailblazing uh, in this in this area. Cedar LNG is the first majority indigenous owned LNG project to get the green light from BC and Ottawa. It's led by the nation and partners at Pembina Pipeline. We don't talk about poverty anymore. We don't talk about welfare. We don't talk about our people going to prison. Uh, we don't talk about suicides anymore. Reconciliation in action says this former Heisla chief turned MLA. This generation has really taken hold of the idea of getting a good paying job and actually becoming a part of society in all respects. As Canada works towards reconciliation, there's often talk of First Nations getting a piece of the pie. But in this case, the Heisla Nation is actually holding the pie and they're deciding who else gets a slice. This is transformational of what we're what we're doing and what we're experiencing. It's not only in the, in the in the sense of education and career opportunities, it's being able to revitalize our culture and our language. The Heisla Nation says it's a sustainable future economically, culturally and environmentally. The processes within the facility will not be emitting gas like other facilities will be because they'll be using hydroelectric uh, renewable energy. Cedar LNG is waiting on a final investment decision at the end of the year and if it's a go, it's tug will be joining LNG Canada's in 2027, setting up the Heisla people to work on their home waters for generations to come. Elizabeth McSheffrey, Global News, Kitimat Village. And as you just heard, change is coming for the Douglas Channel. Tomorrow, you'll hear from a Heisla man who's lived long enough to see all of it. That's part three of four in our series from Kitimat. Still to come, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Fraser Valley Septic Services are caught in the middle of a dispute between municipalities. Why the waste could start piling up soon. Plus, even with record demand, how food banks are stepping up to help every client. Good evening and some good news over here at the Patello Bridge. After clearing a rollover crash at the north end, it has been cleared and traffic is fully recovered in both directions here at the Patello Bridge. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $24 million, plus a classic $5 million jackpot to jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Well, some septic waste disposal operators in the Fraser Valley are voicing concern over a potentially stinky situation because many disposal plants are reaching capacity. There's still a lot of waste with nowhere to go. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the problem could get worse as the population grows. In every direction, Chilliwack is growing. New construction has pushed the population past 100,000 here. The municipality making a decision to protect a wastewater treatment plant already near capacity. People living outside the city limits with septic tanks barred from using the facility. Yeah, so it caught us off guard and so we've been trying to uh, talk to the people that we can, municipalities, the mayors and, and engineers and whomever else to try and come up with some form of a temporary solution to get us by. Chilliwack, the latest municipality to make this change. 
According to the city, it has seen a 40% plus increase in the amount of truck liquid waste, causing operational disruptions, increased treatment costs, and effluent quality issues. Over the last number of years, Abbotsford, Mission, and Hope have all closed to private haulers. The industry is concerned any options for disposal outside the region just add time and cost. You know, for some of the haulers out here, it's going to be an extra three hours worth of driving back and forth just to drop off a load. So uh, obviously those costs are going to have to get passed off to the uh, consumer. The city of Chilliwack wouldn't respond to our questions on camera, saying ultimately this is an issue for the Fraser Valley Regional District. The FVRD did send us a statement acknowledging that it's an issue, but offering few solutions. Writing, FVRD has contacted several facilities out of the region that are able to accept liquid waste from private haulers and has provided this information to these businesses. In addition, FVRD is connecting with the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Environment to identify potential solutions for rural residents. There is no quick answer to this. Uh, either way, some, some upgrades to existing facilities or, or new facilities need to happen, and, and those don't happen overnight. There are an estimated 3,000 homes in the district, plus Indigenous communities that are potentially affected by these changes, with no obvious place to dump private septic operators are now reluctant to take on any new clients. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Most British Columbians take clean, safe, reliable tap water for granted. But thousands of West Kelowna residents haven't had it for a long time. The more than 20,000 residents have been dealing with water quality issues for years. But now they've been told that the new Rose Valley water treatment plant could be up and running as early as next month. It's been under construction for about three years with a number of delays. It's amazing, right? Like this is a big deal for our mayor and council and for staff and our community, obviously. So um, project definitely wasn't without challenges with COVID supply chain issues. There was labor shortages and then, of course, the fire. Well, that's great news. And I saw a picture of it at the plant the other night on the news and it looked like it's really, really going to be good. High tech. The city says water from the new plant will exceed federal and provincial guidelines, meaning the end of most of the water quality advisories in that region. Just ahead, saving salmon. Okay, male, wild coho. How nature gets a helping hand for the survival of the species, next. Good evening and some good news here in Surrey. Final clearing stages of a two-car crash eastbound on 96th Avenue at 148th Street. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $24 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a crash in Surrey. Well, the boom in urban development surrounding the Little Campbell River in South Surrey is impacting the river flow, but nature somehow finds a way to cope. The local hatchery still manages to attract thousands of spawning salmon every year, and Kylie Stanton shows us the operation to make sure it continues. Okay, male, wild coho. Every time the net goes in, it seems another fish comes out with it. Jump! But for now, volunteers here at the Semiamhu Fish and Game Club have their eyes on just one species in particular. Oh, we're doing our annual egg take for Chinook eggs for our broodstock. And it's proving to be a good year, with more than 700 Chinook salmon returned and recorded at the hatchery, thanks largely in part 
to the rain. Oh, I was doing a little jig. I was pretty happy about it. The plan now is to extract the eggs from the females, fertilize them, and raise the salmon as juveniles until they are ready to be released and make their way back to sea. We're hoping to get uh, over 60,000 up to a maximum of about 70,000 eggs. It's a process volunteers have been taking part in since 1985 and have managed to increase the number of salmon in the waterway by roughly 5% every year. The goal, to return the Little Campbell River back to its former glory. We were told that there was a time when you could walk across the backs of the salmon, and it was so plentiful. But even with increasing numbers of spawning fish, the developments surrounding the small river are causing issues. Everything from water pollution to fluctuating water levels and flooding. Volunteers say an environmental disaster here would undo all of their efforts. It would wipe out a, uh, a years of um, salmon in the river. 700 Chinook, about 3,000 coho could all die, and that would be one year where we'd have to uh, build up those stocks again. So it'd be a, a disaster for us. But for now, they're celebrating what the salmon have to offer, making the most of what could be one of the best returns in years. It's what we're, uh, all the volunteers here uh, are hoping for. It's, it's very satisfying. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Canada's food banks say they hit a dubious milestone in March when almost 2 million people used their services. A staggering increase in just 12 months. As Cassidy Moscone reports here in B.C., the cost of living is driving that need higher than ever. Hi, good morning, good afternoon. As a new mum and new to Canada, Jeanu Thomas relies on food banks to feed her family. Thank you. It's the great struggle to get settled from one country to another country in the initial days with the babies. The Surrey mother is not alone. Canada's food banks are being pushed to breaking point. New national figures revealing the charity organisations recorded close to 2 million visits in one month. That's the highest level in Canadian history, up 32% from last year, up 78% from 2019. Here in BC, it's about 200,000 in March, and that represents a 57% increase uh, since the same time in 2019 and a 20% increase from this time last year. Approximately one third of all clients who come to a food bank in BC is a child. Food Banks Canada says relentless inflation is fueling the problem. Well, one of the most notable and concerning trends is the increase in uh, the people who are accessing food banks who are working full time. We certainly need to see more happen at a government level, municipal, provincial and federal. Those Canada-wide numbers are, are striking uh, and concerning, of course. We've invested this year alone over $50 million in direct food security supports. So that includes uh, money for direct uh, purchase of food. People like Jinu need support now. I don't want other people also to suffer. Within five years, I will be settled and I can donate. I will donate, that is for sure. Thank you. Have a good day. Advocates with a grim warning for the days ahead. I don't see uh, any real cause for optimism in the short term. Um, I think things will continue to be very challenging for people. Cassidy Moscone, Global News.
Got to support the food bank if you can. Okay, coming up, Squire hangs out with the PNE Scream Team. The science that makes Fright Nights there so scary. Coming up later. And is it possible to build a fireproof house? This Okanagan company is trying. as we come out of the worst wildfire season in Canadian history, a BC company says it's building homes that are fire resistant. Atlas Modular Homes in Coldstream says all of the materials used for their steel framed homes are either non-combustible or certified flame resistant. The homes feature a fire retardant coating on all wood elements to help reduce flammability and prevent flying embers from igniting and spreading a fire. On average, natural untreated wood has a flame spread index of 100, and this product reduces the flame spread index to less than 25. Wood or trusses, the walls, OSB material, anything can be treated with the fire retardant. The company says it takes about six weeks to complete their modular homes at a cost that's not much higher than a traditional wood frame home. All right, Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at the weather forecast. We had a lot of weather <laughs> yesterday, Yvonne. Yeah, and I just wanted to have a few uh, highlights of what we did end up seeing from yesterday's storm. Thank you so much, Chris and Sophie, and good evening, everyone. Uh, golden snowfall amounts getting up to 16 centimeters. The Coquihalla near the summit up to 13. Panasse Summit, 7 centimeters in the Kootenai Pass. We bumped up to 4. We also saw rain, a significant amount. Higher amounts were along Salt, Salt Spring. The Malahat got up to 68 millimeters. Victoria, this reported out of the airport 54 and Qualicum Beach getting up to 44 millimeters. In addition to that, it was a mixed bag. We also saw very windy conditions. Cathedral Point getting over 100 kilometers per hour. Saturna Island 82 in areas near Tawasson with some of those winds getting up to 65 kilometers per hour. But we're not in the clear just yet. We're actually still seeing windy conditions continuing tonight leading in towards tomorrow. So far, peak wind gusts today, even out of Tawasson, we can see that. Areas near West Van over 30 kilometers per hour. And we'll still see some of those winds with gusts of up to 40 through the evening and then tomorrow gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. It is very chilly. We are seeing the potential and the risk of frost. Temperatures will be down to one and leading in towards the weekend. We could see some patchy frost, so do keep that in mind. Highs tomorrow between eight and nine degrees. We've got plenty of sunshine, but some areas, especially closer to the water, will see windy conditions. Now along the coast, we're up to seven for the northern half of the province. The peace will see more breaks as we get in towards the afternoon. Overnight lows for the interior were below the freezing mark, and then through the day tomorrow, we're underneath a mix of sun and cloud. Bit of a blip in the forecast along the western edge of the island. We could see a few isolated showers just for the early morning hours. Breaks in the clearing as we get in towards the afternoon. Lower mainland, we're into some sunshine through the day, but windy conditions with gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. A look ahead towards our weekend. We've got sunny skies, but we are going to see temperatures chilly for overnight lows. Tonight's weather window, this was captured a couple of days ago. A great shot from Lynn with the windy conditions taken at the seawall in Stanley Park. Guys? Oh, no one was walking by. The guy on the bike's <laughs> in danger, I know that. Yeah, no kidding. All right, thanks Yvonne. And Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. So one of the reasons the uh, Canucks beat Nashville last night was their penalty kill in the third period. I, I, I've liked our penalty kill. I know the stats don't show it, but I think our penalty kill has been good this year. That's one of the big areas Rick Talkett needed to improve this season, and so far, he has. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, ah! the frighteningly popular Halloween attraction, 
at the PNE. Squire pays it a visit. So far, so good for the Vancouver Canucks or Squire. Well, it was a good road trip, 3-2. and two. They'll play St. Louis at home tomorrow. Rick Talkett and the Canucks came home second in the Pacific Division behind only Vegas. And even though it's early, they are playing fairly well, while a lot of their division rivals are not. The Flames are playing like Daryl Sutter is still their coach. The Oilers are playing like defense and goaltending don't matter. Seattle's best hasn't been seen yet. The Sharks have no teeth, and the Ducks suck. Vancouver plays five of its next six games at home. One thing about that 3-2 win in Nashville last night, the Canucks penalty kill made a couple of big stops late in the third, and that's what had Rick Tockett happiest of all. I thought the first half we were really good, diligent, and then, you know, obviously the, the, the third was uh, we hung in there and did the, what we had to do to win the game. Our penalty kill was, our penalty kill was really good. I mean, you give... You give back-to-back uh, -back penalties with four or five minutes left, and you know you're over and using guys. I, I thought the resolve in that penalty kill. And I, I, I've liked our penalty kill. I know the stats don't show it, but I think our penalty kill has been good this year. So today they named uh, who the newest members of the BC Sports Hall of Fame are, and one of those put into the hall was a group of men whose Hall of Fame moment was 25 years ago when they were playing Little League Baseball for Langley, and as it turned out, playing Little League Baseball for Canada as well. The 0-1 to Krause. Lifted deep to right field. Akala going back. It's gone! And it's tied! Canada came from four runs down. How many times have you looked at the home run that you hit against Japan? Watched it pretty religiously for a while there, coming out of it. Um, I haven't watched too much recently, but I once in a while I dip back. Maybe once a year, it's good to relive that stuff. It's a magical spot, the aura, when you step in there, you, like, you enter the grounds and it's, it's kind of hard to put to words. 25 years ago, the Langley All-Stars were truly Canada's boys of summer. They went undefeated at the BC and Canadian Little League Championships and finished a perfect 3-0 in the international pool at the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It was an incredible journey. Uh, every Little League organization around the world has a, a, a logo called Road to Williamsport. So in June of 1998, I knew the boys were a talented group, but who knew that over the next three months we were going to be uh, traveling uh, through BC, out to, to Nova Scotia, Blaze Bay on Cape Breton Island. We won the Canadians, very, very close game. And, and then our run to the World Series was over and we were there and it was a surreal experience. Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the mecca of Little League Baseball, the place every Little Leaguer dreams of one day playing. And it's here at Howard J. Lamity Stadium where the kids from Langley now find themselves two wins away from making Canadian and World Little League Series history. Is it one of those things that even though you finished third in the world that you still say, it was there. We could have been world champions. Oh, absolutely. I think about it all the time. We watch every year, me and my boys now. I've watched with my family for the last number of years. We track Canada every year. I'd love to make it back. I haven't yet, but yeah, it was something we were so close. But the bond we formed with my teammates, the parents, the coaches, they're bonds that we'll have forever. So that was pretty cool. Before the All-Star season started when we were 12, Dave sat down all the players and all their families, and he sat them down in the bleachers in the you know, Langley Baseball Diamond, and he said, I'm thinking of a word 
that's seven letters long, that starts with H. And it's going to be the key to this team's success. And he let everyone think on that. People started guessing, raising their hands, like it was a classroom setting. And eventually we landed on Harmony. And it was the development of Harmony amongst the group that traveling across the country, staying with billet families, and, and being a harmonious group, I think, really allowed us to know our roles within the team and, and work really well, um, and ultimately get to where we, we got to. This is the kind of stuff that's cool when you're an 11 or 12 year old kid. It's all taken in during the moment, but not really processed until now. Same for the childhood bond and friendship that's extended into their adult lives and come 2024, the BC Sports Hall of Fame. I think when we came back and we had that parade back in Langley and there's hundreds of people, that's when it clicked, when it was like, wow, we accomplished something pretty cool. They're all great at young adults, family men, contributing to, to our communities. Uh, they all coach of some sort. They're, they've given back to, the, to different sports. So it's, it's, they're just a remarkable group of boys. Uh, they finished third that year. So here are the other inductees, the great Justin Morneau, Richard Zokel going in, uh, Amanda Assey, Cassie Sharp, Brian Cochran, the late Wayne Norton, who was uh, a big, big man in baseball in this province. There you see some of the others, Glenn Ringdahl, oh, Don Taylor, our old friend, and that Amazon's women's hockey team from 1921-22. Congratulations to everybody. Uh, Whitecaps, of course, are playing that playoff game November 5th against LAFC at BC Place. Already 20,000 tickets sold, so it will be a big crowd. It's going to be rocking, no doubt. And Jan Hour has not changed no. much since 98. No, he Say has that. not, actually. Thanks very much, Squire. I couldn't tell in that footage if you had the frosted tips back then. <laughs> I think it was pre-frosted tips. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, up next, two decades of terrifying Vancouverites. How Fright Nights makes fear fun year after year. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, a toddler is recovering after being attacked by an owl in a Burnaby Park. The boy's father happens to be a wildlife biologist and wants the owl destroyed. Also, the thieves who broke through a wall to raid a Qualicum Beach business. At 11, we'll hear from the frustrated shop owner who's out tens of thousands of dollars and says theft is an epidemic in his community. Plus, how Airbnb plans to use AI to crack down on parties over Halloween. Chris. All right. Pulling out all the stops. Yep. Thanks, Jordan. Speaking of Halloween, it's almost <laughs> here. Uh, and a Halloween tradition continues at the PE Squire. It's been going on for two decades now, um, Fright Nights. Apparently, it's one of the most popular events for people who work at the PE, and it's a popular event for a lot of local actors who get a good gig for a little while and get to scare their fellow Vancouverites <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> Every October for the past 20 years, the PE grounds become frighteningly popular with people who want to be chased by a large ghoul with a chainsaw or scream their way through one of eight haunted houses. But for the Peony itself, this nightmare scenario for their guests has been a dream promotion. It was an overwhelming success right from day one and continues to draw about 80,000 people over the course of the Fright Night season. And I think a lot of people also really like the idea of the rides. It's the only time of the year we operate our wooden roller coaster in the dark. So a lot of people really like that in and of itself. The real secret though was never let the scary parts become repetitive or obvious. 
The characters are changed and so are the haunted houses, which are designed to keep you always off guard. Well, everyone comes in them knowing they're, they're going to get scared and, and uh, our process is to make sure we're hiding that scare as best as possible. So the scare zones the actors live in need to be hidden or there needs to be distractions where you think it's going to come from the left and maybe it comes from the right. Uh, and then obviously the lighting, we want to put the light on the things we want you to see and maybe hide the things in the dark you don't want to see till the last minute. Ah! We get a lot of people who um, are very brave in the queue line and then we see the real side of them when they get into the house and they're maybe not as tough as they thought they were. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole um, you know atmosphere in a house is to try and make you believe that you're not just in a in a in a house in Playland, you're actually you know, immersed into something real and um, some people sink into that a lot faster and a lot e more easily than others. That guy's, that guy's in yeah. trouble. No, that looks like <laughs> me when someone tries to wake me up too early. <laughs> that same noise, same look, trying to drag myself back to bed. <laughs> It'd be fun to scare people, but I don't, I don't like being scared. Well, wait a minute. There was a cameo in that story. That's right. Yeah. Some people might have caught it. You and Jay were jumping up, scaring people <laughs> in one of the haunted houses. We did a few years ago, yeah. They made us all up and everything. And Jay was really um, doing a lot of method acting. <laughs> he was right into it. Yeah. He's nice. definitely a joiner. Uh, are we going to have decent weather for the real Halloween next week? Uh, so far, it's looking good. Uh, but we've got plenty of sunshine as we can look ahead. Uh, Keep in mind, though, especially for the early morning hours, we could have some patchy frost or the risk of frost across the region. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And thank you for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all. Oh, look.